So you know we put our videos of the sermons on Facebook, Vimeo, and Jessica Pasley, our administrative assistant, she called me into her office the other day and said, you know they've got this new feature on Facebook where it'll show you the speaker or whoever's in the video and it'll say, so-and-so is popular with, and they'll list a demographic. So she thought it was funny that it said David Green is popular with women ages like 48 to 60. I'm thinking... That's just old enough to be my mom. So, mom, thanks for, for watching. Yeah, thanks for following along. When I was going to Johnson Bible College, I was a full-time student, but also a full-time pastor. I was the pastor of a small church in southeastern Kentucky. And over several years of building into that flock of people, shepherding them, pastoring preaching, teaching, I developed a really good relationship with one of the elders. His name's Jim. And Jim told me about a story when he was involved with his son's uh, sports team as a child, and he was one of the coaches. And you know, sometimes parents can get a little riled up in those moments, those events of their child's games. And after one of the games, another parent comes up to Jim, and after a verbal altercation, punches Jim. Punches him so hard that it knocked him down. So when he's telling me that story, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what's going on in your mind? When something like that happens, what are you thinking about? What's going on up here? And kind of without missing a beat, he said, I was thinking about Jesus and his call to not retaliate. Now you have your own view of what you would have done in that scenario. But here we've got an elder, a leader in the church, who is giving his best shot at living out the teachings of Jesus. And that's what elders do. I was involved in an elders meeting just a couple of nights ago, and I was looking at the agenda and thought I'd share this with you. Looking at the agenda, we're looking at about a two and a half hour, three hour meeting. And do you know what topics got the most attention? A combination of prayer and Bible study by the elders of this church totaled 60 minutes. 60 minutes, the leaders of this church are on their knees in prayer and searching the scriptures for wisdom and direction so they can do their best to carry out the teachings of Jesus. You know why that's so important? Because we're in our last sermon of this series, Here We Go, where Peter's going to call attention to the elders. And he's going to ask for Mike Wheatley and Mike Levan and Keith Parrish, Kim Morrison, Paul Sexton, Scott Washing, and Chris Lloyd. He's going to call up on them to do something that we kind of maybe don't flow with. He's going to call up on them to step up and to lead and lead really well. Not just because they're leading, but because their leading is to trickle down to us. They are to lead and leave us with an example. Notice the language of 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, to the elders, and I want to get technical for just a moment, then we'll move on from that, but just for a moment. To the elders, this group we call elders, to the elders among you, I appeal. I'm pleading with you. Listen up, take note, follow, flow with what I'm saying. I appeal as a fellow elder a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. To you elders, be shepherds. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, 
serving as overseers. So one group, elders, called to shepherd and oversee the church. This is similar language. Technical for just one more moment. Acts chapter 20. Notice the language. Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, Keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you, once again, overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. So these seven men that we call elders are called to oversee this church and to shepherd and guide so it makes sense that they would spend 60 minutes in prayer and searching the scriptures so they can find their best way of carrying out the teachings of Jesus. That's phenomenal. You should be really, really proud of your leaders. But it doesn't just hang out with them. Instead, Peter goes on in this section and he says, this type of leadership leaves an example for you and for me to follow. As they carry this out, we look to them and we follow their example. Notice the verse five and two, five and, or excuse me, two and three. You lead not because you must, but because you're willing. Notice the contrast. Not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. You lead not because you're greedy for money, but eager to serve. Side note, in the first century, the elders more than likely got a little stipend. They probably got a little kickback. Sorry, guys, that that's not the same way today. You know, times have changed. All right, greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. They lead the way. They lead the way. And as they're leading the way with searching the scriptures and praying, I'll check in with you and ask you, when it comes to your spiritual disciplines, I need to know if they're working. And I want you to really consider that question. Are my spiritual disciplines of prayer and searching the scriptures, are those working? You know, I know we pray. I know we pray before meals. I know we pray maybe in the morning or in the evening. I get those types of routine. I know that. I do it, you do it. We've got to have those built into the flow and rhythm of our lives. I understand that. But when you're looking for counsel, when you're looking to God for direction and guidance and wisdom, when you're really engaging this God, are your prayers routine or are they real? Are you really present when you're in dialogue with our great God? Or your Bible reading, your Bible reading. I know sometimes it's this thing that we check off and the the hardest thing for me as a pastor, the hardest thing for me when it comes to reading the Bible is actually slowing down, sitting down, opening up the scriptures and reading. Once that occurs, I can roll. But the slowing down and the sitting down is challenging. So what about you? Is life so fast-paced right now that you don't have time to really search the scriptures your bible reading is it more about something you've got to do or is it more about something you do so that you can find out this someone you're called to be when I think about this I think the idea of Peter you lead not because you must but because you're willing in other words there's this contrast If you get into this idea of must, it's like you're being forced. 
you're being forced to, and maybe it's an outside presence. The elders in the first century, typically they were older men. And by default, the older men were called upon to lead, lead in the areas. And if you're not equipped to do that, the grind of that type of ministry, it can tear and wear you down. So Peter says, hey, look, you've got to do this because you're willing, not because you must, not because you're being forced to. And when you think about it, sometimes you and I, we can get wrapped up in our own mind and get lost up there, gets a little cloudy. And you're doing it because you must, not because there's outside pressure, because there's inside pressure to keep your reputation, to make sure that people understand you're doing your part. You've got to hold on and you've got to do it. I must do it so others see So Peter says, that's not the case. You lead, not because you have to, but because you're willing. I'll tell you a story of how this played out. Uh, Kim Stoltzfus led our Shape Spiritual Gift Discovery class a couple of Saturdays ago. And I originally called her and asked her if she would lead that class in the fall marriage retreat that we had. And she agreed to it, but some life incidents came her way. She had to cancel, so I called her again. And here's why I called her. I knew she was familiar with the curriculum we wanted to pass out. But here's really why I called Kim. I said, Kim, can you do this um, in February, March, sometime like that? And here's what she said. She said, David, let me think about it for a little bit. I want to pray about it and see if the Holy Spirit is involved in freeing up that time commitment for me. I want to use my time really, really well where I feel God is calling me to make commitments. That's great. That's a heart that says, I'm willing. I don't have to. I'm searching to find out what he wants from me and how I can let that play out. So she called me back and said, yeah, I'm all in. And she did a phenomenal job facilitating. We actually had a little over 60 people register for the class. 43 came benefited I think it was God blessed it was on a Saturday night UK was playing it started at seven o'clock and everybody knew up front it was going to last about two and a half hours cards just stacked against us right 43 people came out a lot of energy benefited from it so if you were one of the 20 25 that signed up and you had to miss for some reason we're going to be running that again just so you know but this idea of being willing is rooted and understanding your calling. And that's why we offered the class. Because if you don't know your calling, if you're not in tune with your calling, if that conviction that you're doing what God has authored or honored for you to be doing, then the grind of ministry can wear you down. And that's why we talk about pastors experiencing burnout. You've got to be sure that this is what you're called to do. And when you are, you don't have to. You have that willingness to do so. So that's what Peter says. Don't force it. You forge your way forward through Bible reading, prayer. So your spiritual disciplines, are they working? If not, I want you to heed the advice of Jude, verse 20. He says, you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Take responsibility for shaking things up if you need to, for slowing down or speeding up. Do what you need to do to build yourself up 
in this faith to which we're called because that, that's what your elders are doing. That's what your leaders are doing. That's the example they're extending to every single one of us. Praise God for that. But in the contrast, Peter also said, hey, elders, don't, don't do this because you're greedy for money. Do it because you're eager. You're eager to serve. You know, when I hear people talk about my ministry, all right, put this on the screen. I just want you to know that when you talk about, like, my ministry, my ministry is not my ministry. You know that, right? And you can say that, and it applies to yourself too. We talk about my ministry, but subtly it can seep in that if it is my ministry, then it becomes about me instead of what God is doing through me. So my ministry is not really my ministry. And that's what Peter says to these elders. He says, I appeal to you. Don't do this because of what you can get. You're called to do this because of what you can give to others. I was told you the last time I was up here that Paul and I, Paul Phillips and I, we meet at Starbucks every Thursday. And usually one of us gets there 5, 10, 15 minutes before the other. Well, this past Thursday, we happened to get there at the same time. So we're in line together. We're leaned up against the bar behind us there, waiting in line for our turn. We get up to the register, the barista takes our orders, and I don't know if you know, but they have their card scan for debit card, credit card, or their cards on top of the register. And I noticed that there was a card on top of the register the whole time we were standing in line. So Paul and I tell the barista our order, she takes it, and then she swipes this card, and the register screen comes up and says, balance due, zero. Then she folds the card, or takes the card, puts it in one of the folders, and she hands it to me and Paul. And the words on it are written, David and Paul. And we're thinking, we see a lot of people that we know in there. And I believe some people have seen us in there week after week. And they were giving us something really, really nice, a sweet gift. Well, as we're walking away, Paul's first words, very first words, we're walking away, he says, you know what, pass that card on. He's like, pay it forward. And I'm thinking, wait, how much is on this card? I mean, slow down, right? This come out of nowhere. And I'm not kidding you. That's really what I thought. And that's what he thought. He was giving, and I was concerned with getting. So Peter says to the elders, I appeal to you. I'm begging you. When you think about your ministry... It's always about what you're giving, not what you're getting. So this is too good. I saw this on social media. I don't typically relay stuff on social media, but this is phenomenal. So what I need right now is for all the gals. All the gals, go ahead and get your bulletin. Get something to write with. This is so good. You've got to take notes on this. You can't miss a beat. I'm going to read them clearly. Slowly, you've got to take notice. This is some of the best advice you will ever run across. Please write this down, okay? This is from an economics book, and it's some tips for wives. So please, please, please pay pay attention. Uh, The first tip, have dinner ready. Check this out. Plan ahead even the night beforehand to have a delicious meal on time when your husband arrives through the door. Okay, write that down. 
Got it? I see some pins smoking. All right, tip number two. Tip number two. Ladies, prepare yourself. Take 15 minutes to rest so you will be refreshed when he arrives. Touch up your makeup. Put a ribbon in your hair and make sure you're fresh looking. Ready? Number three. Tip three. Clear away the clutter. Make one last trip through the house, the main part of the house, just before your husband arrives, gathering up school books, toys, and paper. Then run a dust cloth over the tables, and your husband will feel he has reached a haven of rest and order, and it'll give you a boost too. (laughs) This is about you, okay? All right, tip four. Prepare the children. (laughs) (laughs) take a few minutes to wash the children's hands and faces if they are small comb their hair and if necessary change their clothes they are little treasures and he would like to see them playing that part you know that already right you know that all right number five minimize all the noise at the time of his arrival eliminate all noise of washer dryer dishwasher vacuum and try to encourage the children to be quiet as well all right moving on here's some don'ts Uh, don't greet him with problems or complaints don't complain if he's late for dinner count this as a minor conflict compared with what he might have gone through at his day at the office all right a couple more a couple more you got this need more time to write these down you got to get him. Make him comfortable, okay? Have him lean back in a comfortable chair or suggest he lie down in the bedroom. Have a cool or warm drink ready for him. Arrange his pillow and offer to take off his shoes. Speak in a low, soft, soothing, pleasant voice. All right, last one. Make the evening his. Never complain if he does not take you out to eat or other places of entertainment. Instead, try to understand his world of strain and the pressure that he's under and his need to come home and relax. Need me to repeat any, gals? You got them? You good? Okay, all right. Well, you laugh and you scoff. This was taken from a 1950 home economics book. And you know, you laugh and you scoff, and I do too. It's funny. Why? Because the culture has shifted. Times have changed. It's not like that anymore. And I bet a few of you thought, well, there's no way I'm ever going to do that, right? But if your ministry is your ministry there will be some other things that you laugh at, that you scoff at. If your ministry is really your ministry, then there will be some times when you say, I'm never going to do anything like that. That's why your ministry is not your ministry. It's God's ministry through you. It's not about what you get. It's about what you give. You'll remember Jesus. He came along. He was hanging out with the 12 guys, right? And he saw a need that they had. They were his circle of influence. And he saw that there was a time where they needed their feet washed. 
And he called time out, stopped everything, and he washed their feet. Do you remember that story? John chapter 13. Notice how the story ends. John concludes, he says, When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he asked them, Do you understand what I have done for you? I have observed, I've looked around, I've identified a real need, and I've met it. And I've left you an example to do the exact same thing. When you follow Jesus, and this is why Peter comes along and says to you elders, I appeal. Listen, hear me out. When you follow Jesus, it's about what you give, not what you get. And he left us an example. And there will be times following Jesus that you and I are called to do things that maybe we want to laugh at or scoff at or say, I'm never going to do that. He appeals. Don't be about what you can get. Be eager to serve, eager to give. Make sense? Then the third contrast he has, remember he said, hey, elders, don't lord your power or your authority over people. Instead, set an example for them. And it's a reminder that ministry, what we do here, following Jesus is never about power. It's always about people. Always. And when you get a bunch of people together and we're flawed and we're broken and we're still sinful in some ways, we make mistakes, we're going to rub each other the wrong way. There's going to be conflict and difficulties. So we ask the question, when you've got a group of people and elders are often over a group of people, how are people relating to each other? In the ins and outs, the daily grind of life, how are people really relating to each other? So Peter says, elders, keep a check on this. When you're creating a culture, when you're in leadership, the culture will only be as healthy as the leaders really want it to be. So he says, I appeal to you. There's some altercations going on in the first century world. There were difficulties and challenges, outside pressures. And Peter says to the elders, how are your people relating to each other? Is it about power or is it about seeing eye to eye with someone? Is it about respecting their humanity? So in April, I want you to look out for it. We're designing this class. It's going to be a four-week class on Sunday morning. Not from the pulpit stage area here, but one of our Sunday morning areas. And it's going to be four weeks about biblical conflict resolution. Uh, Being involved in ministry for 20 years, I see that sometimes we don't do a good enough job of stepping up and saying, okay, here's the biblical approach to resolving conflict practically, step by step. Here's what scripture says about conflict and here's what scripture says about how to resolve conflict. So we're going to take four weeks and we're going to walk through basic biblical conflict resolution. So be on the look for that and I hope you sign up for it and I hope you benefit from it so that we're relating to each other extremely well. Uh, Last night, uh, my daughter Sophie and I, we were at Kroger and we were picking up the groceries in the click list line. If you remember with that? We're in lane four, and we're waiting on the guy to bring our groceries out. And I see something on my peripheral, so I think it's the dude. And I look up, and I see a buggy, but it's unmanned. And it's got some speed to it, and it's barreling toward our car. I say, our car, it's really Michelle's car. It's not my car. It's Michelle's car. I love to drive her car. She's got one of those cars where you can drive and just talk into the air on a phone call with people, you know. 
I don't have that. She has that. So I love to drive her car. So I asked last night, hey, can I take your car to go get the groceries so I can make a few phone calls? She's like, yeah, sure. So we're parked there. And I see this buggy and it's got some speed to it and it's loaded. So it's got a little weight to it too. And I'm thinking, okay, David, you got this. Get out of the, do- out of the door, run around, maybe do a spin as you're running around to the front of the car, grab the buggy and just redirect it. Well, by the time that I actually thought through that, the buggy bumped up against the car. And you know the little logo and emblem was on the front of cars. Just busted through it, put a dent in it, and just crumbled. That little logo just crumbled to the ground. And I'm thinking, oh, no. So I get out. And this guy comes across. He's walking. And I, I'm not sure what to do. So we start talking for a little bit. I'm thinking, do we get Kroger involved? Do we call insurance? How does this go down? So I make a call, and we're encouraged to call the authorities. Granted, this guy's in the wrong. Whether it was intentional, I don't think it was. I don't think he said, oh, red Prius. I think it was an accident. But he's in the wrong. He's at fault. This is his problem that he created, and now I'm part of it. How are we going to relate to each other? So he's walking toward me and I'm walking toward him. We have a brief conversation, make a phone call, call the authorities. I call the city police department. A guy comes out, he assesses the damage and everything. And he looks at me and says, actually, if you want this guy to pay for it, your only option is to chalk it up for a civil suit. You've got to sue the guy. He was in the wrong. He did this. What do you do? How are your people relating to each other? Because in that moment, I had all the power, all the evidence, favor of us, all the power to sue the guy. But you can buy those logos on Amazon for 32 bucks and snap them back in. So what do you do? Do you say, I've got the power? Peter says to the leaders, anybody who finds themselves in a situation where you have control, authority over people. In that moment, you have power. He says, I appeal to you, don't lord it over them. And I know Peter was thinking about that moment when he and the other disciples were hanging around with Jesus. And Jesus was on one of those teaching sprees. And he said, hey guys, remember, those people who we call Gentiles, they love power. And they lord it over people any chance they get. And I know Peter was thinking back to that, probably that phrase Jesus said at the end in Mark 10. But Jesus looked at his guys and said, not so with you. Not so with you. You look eye to eye with someone. You treat them as a person. You respect them. You work it out through people, not through power. You don't lord it over. And sometimes, I think of our elders, sometimes they have to absorb some blows instead of making a move where they have the power to make it. But there could be some collateral damage with that. So I sue this guy. What else happens? What else do we have to go through? What's the best way to deal with this? So Peter says, I appeal. Don't always make it a power struggle. 
understand the culture in which you live. You know, working with families, I see this a lot with families too. See it with churches, see it with companies. Typically when there's conflict, it's for one of two reasons. One, there has never been a healthy culture created. Or number two, there was a healthy culture created, but it wasn't maintained. Somebody let their guard down. Leadership stopped calling foul. They stopped asking the question, how are the people relating to each other? Now, side note, so that you don't hear me saying something I'm not saying. I had a close friend of mine who's actually my mentor, John W. Samples, came in last week and spoke at our Journeys class. He's the president of the Christian Holy Land Foundation. And he told me later over lunch, he said when he walked through our doors here at Northeast, very first time he had been here, when he walked through our doors here, he said he felt felt such a positive spirit that it reminded him of the only other time he had ever felt that way. And it had been about 15 years ago when he went to another church that was just thriving and had high energy and positivity. So I look at you and I say, well done. Well done for relating to each other so well. Well done for you when you're in a position of power and you choose not to exercise that power, but you take a step back and say, what is the best way to deal with this person? That's what our elders are doing day in and day out. They're devoted to prayer. They're devoted to searching the scriptures. And we want to follow that example. Over 10 years ago, and I still think about that story where a guy came up and he punched Jim and it knocked him off his feet and he didn't retaliate. I still think about that. Let's all join around Hebrews 13 where the author says, remember your leaders. Let's make sure that we're praying for these seven guys who lead this church. Let's make sure we're praying for other leaders that we're aware aware of. Let's make sure that we're remembering them and this appeal that has been extended to them to make sure that they're not forcing anything on anyone but they're helping us forge the way. And they're not making it about what they can get, but what they can give. And it's always not about power. It's always about people. Let's follow that example. Father, we thank you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. The cross that we should have hung upon, but you took our place. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for that example of self-sacrifice and humility. Thank you for the leadership here at Northeast. Thank you for our elders who heed this appeal to oversee and to shepherd. We praise you for that, Father. And now when we find ourselves in similar situations where we're going to be stretched or challenged because of others or problems or difficulties or things that come our way that we just didn't anticipate We want to use this moment right now to say, hey, we want to follow this appeal. We want to follow this example. And we need you to give us faith because in those situations, we're often weak. Father, give us faith to heed this appeal of Peter. And to the end of your glory, we pray and we praise you. Amen. If you want to talk about anything going on in your life, you want to pray about some stuff, I'll be to your right. I would love to chat with you and talk more about what we've discussed this morning.